0: Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. Okay, here
1: we go from the New King James Version, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and the Apostle Paul says this, "...but I determined this within myself." that I would not come again to you in sorrow. For if I make you sorrowful, then who is he who makes me glad but the one who is made sorrowful by me? And I wrote this very thing to you, lest when I came, I should have sorrow over those from whom I ought to have joy, having confidence in you all that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. Now, let me just stop right there and remind you, Paul has written several letters to the Corinthians. We only have two in the New Testament that are inspired of the Lord. In other words, God saw fit through his church to Uh, identify these two letters as being inspired. In other words, they're scripture. They are texts that that were written by people, in this case, Paul, who was moved by the Holy Spirit. But we can see from these Corinthian letters that Paul wrote other letters that he uh, mentioned. Paul here in 2 Corinthians is referring back to the letter that he wrote that we now call 1 Corinthians. And in that letter, there were a number of corrections. One big correction was there was a certain man who was committing sexual immorality. And Paul even got to the place of saying, because he will not repent and he persists in his sexual immorality, I want you to gather together and turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now we covered that when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 5. But Paul realizes here as he's writing this letter that because of the weightiness of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 or his former letter, he's coming back now to console. And in chapter 1, lots of comfort and consolation. He's coming back now to give a hug, so to speak, because he wants to shepherd them and he doesn't want them to be grieved. And so this is what he's commenting about, that his former letter and the things that he wrote. What he says in verse 3, and I wrote this very thing to you. The former letter was weighty, weighty. But now he wants them to be full of joy. He wants them to know that he cares for them. Plus, we'll see that they did obey him and carry out his command, even the tough one with that man in sexual immorality. So notice again five here. But if anyone caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent Not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. This is the man we're talking about who committed sexual immorality. Verse seven. So that on the contrary, you ought to rather, uh, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Well, evidently, the man repented. And So now, Paul, instead of saying, oh, continue to distance yourself from that man and treat him as if he's an unbeliever, which is basically what Paul said before, now, evidently because of his repentance, Paul is saying, welcome him back in. Don't keep piling sorrow upon him. Don't keep guilt tripping him. Look, if he's repented, let's accept that the blood of Jesus washes all sin and let's re-enfranchise this man now, lest he be too sorrowful. And so in other words, Paul is saying, look, there should be sorrow for his sin. There should be be repentance. You know, I notice some people in the body of Christ are not very repentant for their sin. They're not very sorrowful, I should say. In other words, they'll come and say, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I shouldn't have done it. But there's not much godly sorrow. But Paul is saying he should be sorrowful for it. But let's not pile sorrow on him we should be able to be sorrowful, repent, receive forgiveness, and then be so full of joy that God, by His grace, forgives us, that He washes us even from the grief and the sorrow and the guilt of our sin. (laughs) Only God could be that good that He not only wants to forgive, but He wants to forget. Like He says in Isaiah chapter 43, I think the 25th verse, where He says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions and I will not remember your sins. He didn't say I cannot. He said, I will not. I refuse to remember your sins. So God doesn't want us just to be guilt tripped or to have condemnation. There's no condemnation, Romans 8, 1 says, uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so Notice again, Paul saying, let's not pile sorrow on the man, especially if he's repented. Verse eight, therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. See see this father, see this pastoral uh, heart. He's saying reaffirm your love to him now that he's repented. For to this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you were obedient in all things. Oh, now Paul brings up something very interesting. Paul's saying, I not only wrote to you so that you would, in a sense, purge out sin and and any uh, condoning of sexual immorality from among the church. I not only wanted you to do that so that it didn't spread because a little leaven leavens the whole lump, but he said, I also was putting you to the test. I wanted to see if you Corinthians would be obedient to your apostle. (laughs) Wow, that's pretty bold, isn't it? And not only is that what he was thinking or part of what he was thinking, but he's writing it in a letter. And think about this. This is inspired text. So the Holy Spirit is writing this through the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians and saying, I wanted to see if you were going to be obedient. You know, in the body of Christ today, you know, this can be exaggerated uh, and get into a ditch on the side of the road where people take this too far and say you've just got to obey everything that your spiritual overseers say. And so you can't even buy a car without asking your spiritual overseers what color you should buy. You know, well, that's that's a ditch on the side of the road, but there's a ditch on the other side of the road where you think, hey, we're all equal in the body of Christ. We don't have to pay any attention to somebody with a title. Well, you can see both of those are extremes in a ditch. And there is a road. There is a proper way to approach spiritual authority. For example, in Hebrews 13, 17, where the Bible says, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch over your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. And so there is some spiritual authority, but that spiritual authority is not to dominate people or to control people. That spiritual authority is to to exercise in a loving way something that would be protection, something that would be strengthening and helpful. And that's what Paul is doing. Paul was doing this, but Paul said, while I was addressing this man's sexual immorality and what you needed to do about it, because He persistently rebelled. He said, I was also testing to see if you were going to be obedient. Very interesting. And so thank God for good, loving, spiritual leaders who don't take the authority that God has given them to just exercise control over other people's lives. That's not the heart of the Lord. No, the heart of the Lord is liberty. See, however, thank God for authorities that love enough to say something instead of being so concerned about themselves that people will like them or accept them or approve of them that they let people go into things that are very destructive and harmful without saying anything. See, So praise God for God's word that helps us to see that there is a proper balance. There is a proper way that leaders can approach this and that people should respond to loving leaders who God has put in authority over us. So notice now, it says again in verse nine, for this end, I also wrote that I might put you to the test. He said, I wrote that letter that we call first Corinthians, that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. He said, look, if the man's repentant, you can tell he's repentant, you forgive him. Well, listen, I I trust your uh, take on that. And I also forgive him. So uh, go ahead and move forward with with reconciliation, with uh, re-enfranchising this man, loving this man, as if I was right there saying the same thing you were, because I trust your view of this. Verse 10, now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now watch this. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Boy, I tell you what, that not only applies to this situation, but that applies all over. Satan will take advantage of people that are ignorant of his devices, of his temptations, of the way that he deceives, the way that he lies, the way that he subtly comes into your family, To your relationships, to your mind, to discredit you, to discourage you. And if we're not, if we're not keyed in or focused and paying attention to how Satan deceives and lies, then we'll be taken advantage of because we'll just think it's that person or this person, or that's just the way I am. And we'll misinterpret the situation and we'll be taken advantage of. So I I just really have applied this verse to many situations. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Ignorant people get taken advantage of by the devil. Ignorant people get taken advantage of by the devil. Verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel... And a door was opened to me by the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. I just love this verse as well. And especially that first part. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. Not just to triumph, but in triumph. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. When you're born again and you have the authority in the name of Jesus and you have the powerful, precious Holy Spirit living within you, leading you, guiding you, empowering you, and you have the promises of God's word. I mean, you've got so much, the weapons of warfare in the Lord, you've got so much. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph. So as dark as the days get, as grim as the outlook appears, let me tell you, God, if you're born again and you submit yourself to the Lord, he will lead you in triumph. So the only thing you have that is trying to concern you is what you see or feel what people say, how other people interpret it. But when you come back to the Bible, you find out, wait a minute, God's still on the throne. He's my God. And the creator of the universe is my father. And he loves me. And he made promises to me. And the Holy Spirit's in me as a guarantee. And I've got authority in the name of Jesus. See, when you bring to remembrance all these realities that are unseen by the natural eye, but their realities in the Lord, let me tell you, it makes a huge difference in your heart and mind. And so Paul says, look, let's thank God. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Through us diffuses the fragrance is like there's a mist coming out of us, a spiritual mist of his knowledge, the fragrance of his knowledge. When God's knowledge comes on the scene, it smells so good. First of all, it's reality. God's knowledge is always accurate and precise. But not only that, when people hear it, something inside of them is attracted to it because it just sounds right. Even if it's counterintuitive, even if it's against reason and logic, the fragrance of his knowledge. Is diffused through us in every place. Verse 15, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. Now, this is very interesting because to some people, what we preach, the gospel that we preach, it, it doesn't It doesn't smell very nice. Well, why is that? Because they're in persistent rebellion. They're in disbelief. And so our gospel is sharing with them the outcome for them. And that's not good. But for those who are living with the Lord, those who are at least open to the gospel and they open their hearts, see, they hear the good part of the gospel. And so it's got the aroma of life to them. Thank God. And notice this. And who is sufficient for these things? And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Notice, for we are not as so many, as so many. Boy, I hate to think that... This would be true today, but I believe it is. He said, we're not like so many other people, so many other believers, so many, excuse me, ministers, so many other preachers, so many other teachers. This could also be so many other apostles. For we are not like so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. In other words, Paul's saying, look, are some people who are using this gospel of the kingdom of God that is really well like a virus. This is spreading. And so they're seeing this as an opportunity. It's an opportunity to make money, an opportunity to make a living. And so what do they do? They start to learn to preach it. And they're going out, but they're not doing it sincerely. Their heart is not really to bless the people. They're making a living off of it. They're peddling something as if it's a new product to sell. And... Paul said, we're not like that. So Paul's identifying here that there are some motives that are incorrect in the body of Christ. And Paul said, we're not like that. And of course, if he was, he wouldn't be one of the authors of Scripture. We know that to be true. Well, I I tell you what, I don't know about you, but maybe there's somebody watching who is a pastor who is a teacher, you don't have to be a pastor to be a teacher of the word of God, somebody who's called to lead people in the pastor. Well, when we read things like that, this is a good time for us to stop and say, Lord, if there's anything in my heart that would be peddling your word, that would be using your word as a product instead of, out of sincerity, ministering your word to people for their benefit, not for mine, then Lord, cleanse me of that. Wash that away because that would be inappropriate because all of this came to me freely by the grace of God. And it needs to be distributed freely by the grace of God. It needs to be distributed with the right heart and the right motives and such. So thank God, Paul said, look, we're doing it out of sincerity. We're doing it to bless people, not to make a living, not just to peddle something to gain esteem or, or authority or control over people, Paul said, no, we're doing it sincerely. And you can tell by his lifestyle, the way that he served, the way that he sacrificed, the way that he endured persecution. You can tell that that's the way he did it. Well, may we all do that. Every believer, may we all do it just like
0: that. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Deerman.